a sampler of chicken strips, cheese, uh, cheese sticks, and the fries at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nothing was better. Well, we would always convene. I can't do that now, but 30 years ago, I could do it, no problem. Well, we all convened on Denny's. It was myself and Doug Thomas and Leif Owens and Jimmy Silvers, God rest his soul. Jimmy's no longer with us, but Jimmy would always meet, maybe a couple more, and we would sit around that round table, and we were just eating, and we had got done eating, and we were sitting there. Jimmy always got moons over my hammy. If you all remember the Denny's menu, that was his favorite. He would always get that. And we were eating, and, and Doug still to this day dips tobacco. So you probably about to see where I'm headed with this. Well, Doug was dipping in his cup, and Jimmy's cup was right there beside Doug's cup with which he was spitting in. Well, Jimmy grabbed the wrong cup. And he put it to his, and it's one of those things which was frozen in time. You saw it happening, but you just couldn't react quick enough. And we're like, oh, my. And Jimmy put that to his lip. He spit it back out. And he said, oh, Doug. Well, you all showed up tonight expecting Brother Allen, and you got an old Doug. So I'm sorry. Uh, on a serious note, Brother, Brother Allen, as you know, uh, works for the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and it, his job sometimes requires him to uh, go to Israel. And he had an urgent matter that they had to address, and he flew out Monday, and he is in Israel now and he will be there through next Wednesday. So he won't be with us at homecoming or the first two nights of the revival, but Lord willing, he'll be here on Wednesday night to, to conclude the revival. So you probably looked at the, at the big screen, and you're thinking, what in the world is this guy doing going to talk about hell to a bunch of saved people who have worked all day and have showed up on a Wednesday night? Now, what in the world? Where are you going with this? Well, you all stick with me, and maybe, hopefully, prayerfully, you will get something out of it. But let's see here, Joe. All right, we're good. System check. All right, good. Um, now, we know that hell... You all have been well-schooled. Brother Staten spent many years talking about hell. Many of you have been in camp meetings. Many of you have been in, 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 in revivals. And we live in a part of the country where people still talk about hell. But it does seem to be dwindling. I don't know if seminary is teaching its students now don't talk about hell. Quite honestly, you're probably not going to grow a church if you talk about hell because hell is unpopular. Uh, Stephen's probably not going to get a VBS teaching stimulus talking about hell because if he did, the parents would be like, you're trying to scare my baby. So hell is not popular. It doesn't grow churches. We like to always talk about the love of Jesus. Jesus loves you, and he does, but that is vastly overplayed. Not to the point that it diminishes Jesus, but I think oftentimes in our efforts to spread the positive we don't want to talk about the negative. So tonight, we're going to talk about hell and how it relates to a bunch of saved people on Wednesday night. Now, we know that hell is described as a lake of fire. We know that, that we, it's in the book of Revelation. We know in Matthew chapter 
8, it talks, and in the red is Jesus saying it himself, weeping and gnashing of teeth. We know that it's a place of sorrow. It talks about that in the book of Psalm. We know it's a place of torment, again, referenced in Revelation. We know that, that Jesus is talking in, uh, in, in Mark chapter 9, the unquenchable fire. And he goes on to say, the wor- their worm dieth not. That means it's never-ending. It's eternal. It never stops. You know, any kind of bad thing that we have now, if you're going through a cancer treatment, if you're going through some kind of therapy, you can look forward and watch the clock and know that within 30 minutes or an hour, it's going to be done and we're going to be finished. That's kind of how I process things when I'm working out or if I'm going through something. Uh, occasionally with my old bad knees, I've had to get in that, that big tube where they do that MRI on you. And I don't like that thing. It's loud. You all been in it, and I'm a fat man, and that's a narrow tube. And when you scoot me in that thing, I get a little nervous, and I'm all, I'm all in there cramped up, and and I'm 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 telling myself just a few more minutes, just a few more minutes, and and it's going to be okay. You'll get out of here. They'll pull you out. Well, what that tells me in Mark chapter nine, it's never going to end. The worm dieth not. That's Jesus talking. Their worm dieth not. We know that it's unpleasant. We know that it's abandonment. We know it's a place of darkness. And we know that it's a place of judgment. So how, do, how does this translate to what we need to hear tonight? You know, people say, but, but, but God, God wouldn't send anyone to hell, would he? I mean, really? God loves us. That's what a lot of churches teach. God loves us. There's no way he'll send anybody to hell. There's the, our secular worldview tells us, well, now, if he's really real, he's not going to send you to hell because he loves you. Again, that's where I get off saying that it's vastly overplayed. He does love you. He's pulling for you. He wants you to make the right decisions. He wants me to make the right decisions. And I guarantee I disappoint him more than anybody in here. However, the world will say, well, he's not there. No, no, there's no hell. There's no sense to talk about hell. I mean, God's good. He's not going to send anybody to hell. That's what the world thinks. That's what our young people think. And we don't dwell on hell because it's bad. All those things are bad, eternally bad. But, but, but God wouldn't send anyone to hell, would he? Well, see, here's the thing. God is a loving God, but he is also a just and a holy God. Now, this is a very important point that I do not want you to miss. A lot of the inspiration from this message is from a, a pastor named Mike Faberez from Orange County, Florida. And, and I, the reason I did this PowerPoint, because he had some points that I just didn't want to say or repeat. I wanted you to see them, and I wanted you to put them in your Bible. Because you'll get this question a lot. Your grandkids, your neighbors. Well, God wouldn't send me to hell. Why would a good God send me to hell? You're going to get that. Because he's a, he is just, and he is holy. He's not just one-dimensional. He's not just love. 
Love like Jesus loves. You hear that all the time. And that sounds good. That makes us feel good. I had a judge tell me one time. He was, we were kind of debating a little bit. and I know a, a lawyer that wants to debate, right? But anyway, he was kind of debating with me. And, and he was going on. Yeah, you, you, he, he called me and said, you Baptist, you don't believe that, do you? And he was kind of demeaning me and putting me down a little bit. It's okay. It was all in fun. And he said, God ain't going to judge anybody like that. And I thought, and, I, and it wasn't the, it was at a Reds game, so he was trying to tell me that Johnny Bench was gay. I don't know if Johnny Bench is gay or not. He was making that point. But he made it as if to put me down that I could no longer like Johnny Bench because I had a T-shirt that says, Bench and Rose, like a presidential nomination, Bench and Rose. And he was making fun of my T-shirt as if to say, well, he's gay and you're supporting a gay guy. Just foolish banter, but that's, that's okay. But, but anyway, I thought when he said that, oh, yes, God will judge. Oh, yes, because God is just and he is Holy. And, and, and I like what Pastor Mike had to say. And write this down in your book, somewhere where you in your Bible, in your notebook. Write this comment, this quote down, because this sums it up as beautifully as words can do it. If God is not just, He is not good. And if He is not good, He is not God. If God is not just, He is not good. And if he is not good, he is not God. That beautifully sums up the other dimension of God that no one wants to talk about. The other dimensions of God that are clearly and specifically mentioned in the Bible. But again, we don't like talking about hell. If God is not just, he is not good. And if he is not good... He is not God. You see, it's the equivalent of discipline. A parent that disciplines their children, you can still love your child and discipline your child. God loves you and He chastens you. The Bible's very clear about that. But but it comes to a point when your time is out. You know, Bill's here tonight. He's the voice of the Rockets. And I love, Bill's a professional guy when he gets behind that microphone and he sounds good, he doesn't goof off. And, but sometimes Bill will say, time out Rockets, or time out Bobcats, or time out Wildcats. Well, when you go to Lincoln County, that guy over there, and he's, he's good at what he does as well, but he says it a little differently than Bill does. He says, and time is out. Instead of Bill, Bill says, time out rockets. This guy says, and time is out. Now, I get PTSD when I go in that Lincoln County gym because they have beat my kids so bad for so many years that when I walk in the gym, I'm trembling. I almost need to be medicated. But there's one thing I've learned from that gymnasium. Time is out. One day, time will be out. Your heart will stop beating. Your lungs will start taking will stop taking on air. You may get somewhat of a notice and you may not. But one day time is out. 
And then, if you've trusted in God, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you'll go to heaven. The Bible is very clear. We know many instances of that. Paul explains it very well. He even tells the story of Acts chapter 16 and the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Jesus tells the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise simply because the thief believed on Jesus. So if we believe on Jesus, we're saved. But there's a lot of people that just won't quite do it. There's a lot of people that want to question it. There's a lot of people that want to intellectually try to understand it. They want to eliminate the faith aspect of it. And they want to try to figure it out. They want to use science. But you can't do that. It's where faith comes in to play. Kind of like a parent disciplining their children. It's kind of like a teacher. I saw LaJoy Graves a few weeks ago at a funeral home. And I sat down with her, and, and, and we were talking, reminiscing a little bit. LaJoy Graves, Preston Parrott's oldest daughter, uh, was my teacher in second, fourth, fifth, and sixth. By the time I graduated Livingston Elementary, that poor woman had enough of me. But she shared with me, and I'd heard her say this before, and it's sweet. She said, Darren, you were my all-time favorite student. That not makes you feel good. I mean, you know it does. I mean, Ronnie and Charles beat me up out there in the foyer, but I can always remember what LaJoy Graves thinks about me, and I'll get through the day. Get you back, old boy. But, but anyway, I said this to LaJoy. I said, well, you sure did spank your favorite a whole lot. And she laughed. She thought that was funny. And she did. She'd keep that paddle on her desk, and I don't know, it's almost like when she run out of things to say, come here, Darren, bam, poo. Maybe that's because of why it turned out so good, I don't know. But yeah, she spanked her favorite. And I guess her favorite could be translated that she loves me, right? But she has to have justice in her classroom. She can't have some back-talking, funny comedian in the classroom acting up and sowing trouble among the other classmates. And that's what I did. I wanted to always be funny. I wanted to be the class clown. I didn't know when to shut up. C.W. Vanzant actually got me a C in conduct one time. My mother about had a, a fit over that. But anyway. But LaJoy Graves had to establish justice. Now how, now how can I be her favorite? She paddled me all the time. But you get my point. Hell It's where he deals his justice. He cannot tolerate sin. It cannot be around him. And when your time is out and you have neglected and failed to accept Jesus, I believe you go to hell. I don't believe there's a purgatory. I don't believe you're... I don't believe your friends and neighbors can pray you out of purgatory. I believe you immediately. It's appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment. That quick, and I think you're in hell. This is not fun to talk about. People would say, well, I, that Darren Allen, he's a fire and brimstone guy, and we don't like fire and brimstone. He kind of gets in your face and yells at you and says things about hell. We don't like that. Tell me about the three ways that I can improve my happiness or I can give you, I like feel-good messages. They're easy to deliver. These are not. 
They're uncomfortable. But they're real. Flip with me, if you will, in your Bible to Luke chapter 12. And this is red letter. And we know what red letter means. Jesus himself is saying it. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Listen, if you don't like fire and brimstone preachers, you don't like Jesus' preaching. He said it. I just copied what he wrote, what, what was copied that he said. Look, I, I know about fear of death. I've been shot at. I've wrecked cars. I've flipped them upside down. I've been trapped inside of them. I even had to move my wife and my child out of my house on a weekend because I was told a hitman was coming after me. Listen, you get told a hitman's after you, it perks up your situational awareness really quick. And everywhere you go, you're looking, is it that guy? Is it that guy? I better look under my car. Oh, boy, how's he going to get me? I wonder if I'll be alive tomorrow. You start really focusing. You become scared. You become fearful that maybe somebody's out there that's going to kill you. I know what fear of death is. Many of you know what fear of death is. But Jesus says, don't pay that guy no mind. Don't pay that girl no mind. Who should you fear? I'm going to warn you. Whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath the power to cast into hell. That's Jesus saying that. Not me. I'm reading what he said. <clears throat> yea, I say unto you, you fear him. And he can't quit talking about it because look on down to verse 49. <clears throat> I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? Let me read another translation to you. It's maybe a tad bit more clear than the KJV. I have come to set the world on fire and I wish it were already burning. Now what's he saying? And he said this 32, 33 AD. Wonder if they had transgender back then. Wonder if they had school systems that promoted kids doing sex changes. Wonder if they had all kinds of illicit behavior. Wonder if they just had all kinds of corruption and nastiness and filth. Probably not, but whatever was going on, Jesus was fed up with it. And he said, I wish I could burn it down right now, but I'm going to give them a chance to turn it around. Look, I want to unsettle you a little bit, because as I prepared for this last night and into today, it unsettled me, and I want to unsettle you. I want you to understand what Jesus has saved you from. I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. Jesus is a fire and brimstone preacher. <clears throat> so how does that translate to you on a Wednesday night, who many years ago accepted Jesus as your Savior? How does that translate to you tonight. Here's what I want you to do. You see that naked fella sitting on that rock? 
1989, Introduction to Psychology, Sue Bennett College, that guy was on the cover of my book. And he was called The Thinker. Now, academia wants to accept him as someone that maybe is concerned about ACT or SAT scores. It's somebody that's sitting there pondering how he can increase his knowledge. But the guy that created that cast, Auguste Rodin, who completed it in 1901, he initially entitled it The Poet. Not the thinker, the poet. And he got that after the 14th century poet, Dante. Now, we used to read Dante's Inferno in public school, but we don't anymore because you know what Dante's Inferno talks about? Hell. We don't want to scare the kids. We don't want to scare the kids. They might get saved and we don't, no, don't, no, don't scare them. There's no such thing as hell. We'll talk about that later. Shh. But that guy, Auguste Rodin, Rodin, ever how you pronounce it, created this cast as a man pondering on those that have been cast into hell. Pondering. He wants you to think about the judgment of God. He wants you to dwell on the judgment of God. He wants you to think about the judgment of God and how it relates to hell. In the original cast, has a bunch of flames and people screaming. But academia is taking that out because it's much more attractive if he's just sitting there thinking about an ACT score. ACT is college entrance exam. Thinking about his geometry grade. That sounds better. It's much more pleasant. But the reality is that cast was created after Dante's Inferno. So two points to think about tonight, and we're just about done. If I'm going to hit you with heavy stuff, I ain't going to hit you long. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Turn over there with me, if you will. Two points to think about. And we've gotten away from these two points. Brother Allen spoke on Sunday night about the types of people that we reach and how we reach them through evangelism. And something that was strange to me, although not surprising, was the fact that 0% of the people are reached in church. Maybe it's because we've quit with these two points. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, let's read that. I guess I need to find it first before I read it to you, right? Of course, this is this is uh, this is Paul talking. I guess I could turn around and read it. Romans chapter nine, verses one. I'll just read my Bible. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Paul is speaking boldly here. He's concerned. He's perplexed. He's tore up. He goes on to say this in verse 2, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Now that's some of those verses when we're doing our reading our Bible in a year. We kind of skim through that. We don't really 
understand what he's talking about. We kind of let that one go, but I want to capture this, what Paul was talking about here. I say the truth in Christ. I want you to hear me. I'm speaking the truth to you now. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Now what? Why? Why? For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He goes on to talk about he's got such a burden for the Israelites and they're just not getting saved. And what he means by that is, I wish I could be accursed. I wish I could give them my salvation. I want them to be saved so badly. I want them, I covet their souls. I want them to be saved. I'm burdened for them. I'm bothered. I've got heaviness and great sorrow in my heart because they're not being saved. They're God's chosen people and they're just blowing them off. They're not listening to the message. They're living their life. They're doing their thing. What was it Brother Allen said a couple Sundays ago? They're conducting their lives what's important. Are conducting their lives and instead of what's urgent instead of what's important. Remember that one? We all do that. Paul was bothered because the Israelites did not care about Jesus or about salvation. And he said, Look, I'll give up my salvation. I'll give up mine if I could just see them saved. If I could just win them over. Talk about a zeal for the lost. What's happened to us? Now we're too bashful to even tell anybody we go to church. Shame on us. Shame on me. We can talk about anything. I can strike up a conversation about the Bengals. There's guys in my workplace that I work with up there in Frankfurt that know I'm a Bengals fan. They'll see me, hey, day, who day, who day, brother? But I ain't never talked to them about Jesus because that's a little uncomfortable. Boy, am I quite the opposite of the Apostle Paul. The next point, routinely think about God's judgment and what He has saved you from. Routinely think about God's judgment and what he has saved you from. You see, we're, we're Baptists, and we've been, we've been going over eternal security of the believer in Sunday school, and, 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 and we live in an area that's kind of charismatic, and a lot of the charismatics are holiness brothers. And listen, my daddy, I love my daddy. My daddy's the godliest man I've ever been around. But he goes to a different church than I do, but I believe... When his time is out, he will go to heaven. But my daddy believes he can lose his salvation. He struggles with that. He's 79 years old. He probably doesn't sin in the course of a day. You can't get him to talk bad about anybody. But he believes just at any moment he can lose his salvation. He's almost scared that he could be sent into hell because he did something and he wasn't right when, when he died. But you know, here's what I'll say about those dear folks. And that's the holiness, the Pentecostal, the Church of Christ. I got dear friends in all of those. 
but they worry that they can lose their salvation. And I'm on Facebook, and God bless you folks. I'm not getting pointing a finger of you of self-righteousness. I am not. But here's what we miss as Baptists, and I want you to catch this point. See, we're secure. We live like we got this. We got saved. We're good to go. We've lost our hunger. But when you believe that you can lose it, you're less likely to be apathetic about it. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying I believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. Let me say that as clearly and specifically as I can. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation, but I'm telling you when you're eternally secure as a believer, you almost lose a little bit of that hunger and zeal of what you got. You almost take it for granted. So routinely think about God's judgment and what He has saved you from. And hopefully, that'll bring a little tear to your eye. Hopefully, that'll stir you up to sing a little louder on Sunday. Hopefully, that'll stir you up. Hey, why don't you go to church with me? Brother Eddie Nation's coming for revival. And two-thirds of this county knows Eddie Nation. And when you say, he's coming for revival, why don't you come hear him? And when you say, Sunday morning, we're going to feed you chicken. And you're going to get to hear Eddie Nation. Maybe they'll show up, and maybe they'll hear the word, and maybe we can change that 0% that Brother Allen talked about last week. Maybe we can bump it up to 0.02% because we'll see a couple people get saved. Tell them about revival. Brother Eddie's going to preach. Everybody loves Brother Eddie and say this. He don't preach long because people care about that stuff. Immediately when you say so-and-so's in a revival, the next question that comes to their mind, I wonder how long he preaches. Brother Eddie, don't preach long. He will give you the truth. He will present it to you in a humble fashion. You will accept it, and he will stir your heart. And God will use him next week. But we need to... If we ponder and consider what he saved us from, then maybe that will stir our heart to get a few people in here. Maybe that will stir our heart to to ask a, a neighbor or a friend or a family member. And who knows, maybe they're saved. But you get them in here, maybe then they grow in Jesus. A lot of things can happen. I'd love to see, I'd love to see revival take off. And I, I mean, this, this empty pews no more. We're bursting at the seams for revival, and we've got the right man coming in to give it to us. And Jesus will anoint him, but we got to first routinely think about God's judgment and what he has saved us from. And if we do that, maybe we'll stir up that hunger and we'll reach out to those that need reaching out to. Second thing, spread the good news. We got brochures. I I think she said she'd have them back out tonight, but even so, word of mouth's the best. Wherever you go the next two or three days, spread the good news. At least ask them, hey, where do you go? Do you go to church anywhere? And maybe you'll end up in a gospel conversation. And if you do, and I've tried this recently, and it seems to work. And I am by no means a salvation expert. But I try to think of things that will plant a seed, that will stir them. Brother, one day you're going to die. 
And I'd like to be able to tell your family that everything's okay. And before I can tell them that, I got to know, are you okay? If you die today, where are you going to spend eternity? And I'm going to tell you something. I've had this happen once in my life, and it's one of the most rewarding things that you can have happen. I got to tell a family member of a loved one who tragically passed away suddenly, listen, I know they're okay because they shared with me they were okay. And the peace that you bring is hero status. Because when you're clinging and you don't know if your loved one laying in that casket is bound for heaven's eternity, and you're wondering and you're holding on to whatever and hope, and someone can come to you and say, hey, listen, I had that gospel conversation, and it's good. They're good. It's okay. But if you don't ever ask, you won't ever know. It's simple. And we just have to reprogram our minds. We're all capable of it. I'm capable of it. But it gets me out of my comfort zone, and I don't like getting out of my comfort zone. But Paul was heavy. He was sorrowful for the Israelites who were dying around him. So routinely think about God's judgment and what he saved you from. Number two, spread the good news. And I'll finish up telling you about this fella. I've told you about him before. And the reason I know him or know know of him is because my granddad knew him. Pastor Charlie Scott, he pastored over around Orlando in the Crooked Creek Climax area. He rolled an old mule around the 1910 era. Well, Charlie was a good preacher. And Charlie started seeing souls saved. He was stirring up people. It's what evangelists are supposed to do. He talked about hell and he tried to scare people out. Well, don't, don't scare people into heaven. Well, that's what Jesus did. I just read you what Jesus said. Well, Charlie, much like Jesus, preached about hell and he started seeing people saved. Well, you see the old bootleggers over in that part of the world, they didn't like Charlie because when the bootleggers would get saved or when the, when the customers of the bootleggers would get saved, guess what? The sale would go down. We can't have an old preacher meddling in our financial business. So they, th- they sent three boys and I know exactly where the house is today. It's obviously been rebuilt, but I can take you to it. Charlie Scott had been in revival over around Crooked Creek and he rode his old mule and when he got home, his house was bursting in flames. Three young boys hid in the weeds because they wanted to see what the old preacher did. They guaranteed he would cuss them when when he got home and seen his house and all of his possessions were burning up in flames. Charlie got off his mule and this is told to my grandfather. My grandfather was not one of the three. But this was told to my grandfather by one of the three on his deathbed. They said Charlie got off his old mule and he got on his knees. He said, Lord, I pray for these boys that did this. He didn't curse them. He didn't say, Justice, I'll get them. He got on his knees and he prayed for them. And they heard him praying for them. And that guy told my papa on his deathbed, because my papa was a pastor, and he went to visit this man as he was laying there dying. He said, Brother Bentley, I ain't had a good night's sleep since I saw that. Because Charlie Scott, I pray 
for those young men. Well, Charlie Scott's headstone is in the same cemetery as my, both sets of my great-grandparents. I go there once a year, and I stop, and I visit with Charlie Scott's headstone. His last words, it says right under the bottom, you can't read it real well. His last words, let the sinner know I covet their souls. Imagine having a legacy like that. When I die, they'll put on my headstone, hey, buddy, or, or, or bingo fan, or trooper, or something. That, I guess, but, my, but look at that legacy. Look at that legacy. Because why? He had the same zeal that Paul had. It bothered him to know that people were lost and on their way to hell. Let the sinner know, I covet their souls. So two things. Routinely think about God's judgment and what He has saved you from. And spread the good news. Spread the good news. We've all got it. I suspect everybody in here has been saved and on their way to heaven. Signed, sealed, delivered. You wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night. But let's not stop talking about it. We've all been saved a long time, and unfortunately, the longer you've been saved, you kind of lose that luster. We all remember when we first got saved, we wanted to tell everybody. We want, hey, man, I got saved last night. I got saved. I feel so good. Like, I mean, you heard this. I feel like a weight got lifted off my shoulders. Y'all heard that? You're, I bet you experienced that when you got saved, didn't you? And we wanted to share it, but something happens as time goes by, we, we get quiet about it. Well, listen, over the next three or four days, let's not be quiet about it. Let's fill this house up. Because Eddie Nation will give them what they need. His heart singing Saturday night. They're going to give what they need. People will come to preach and they'll come here singing. So invite them Saturday night at 6 o'clock. His heart will lay it out there. And I know Bill well enough to know that the gospel plan of salvation will be presented because that's why he does it. He's been seeing people saved. He shared with me last week. They've been feeling God's anointing. That's what we want. And if we can time it up, if we can align it up just right and get our friends and our neighbors in here, who knows, maybe, maybe they'll sing a song that will pierce their heart. My daddy, Lord willing, he don't want to, but I'm begging him to do it. I'm going to try to get him to sing on Tuesday night of the revival. And I'm going to try to get him to sing the old apple tree. Buddy, I don't know what he does. I, I mean, personally, I mean, my daddy's a good singer. But I don't know that it's the voice quality. I think it's the heart that speaks and delivers. And he gets up and he does that little, I don't know what you call it when you talk while a song's a recitation. He does that and people cry. It melts their heart and that's what we're after. Let's melt that old hard heart. Let's see some people saved. But we got to remember what we've been saved from. We got to be motivated and stirred. And we got to spread the good news. We can't be bashful. I used to be a little bit of a bully at the police academy when them poor little old recruits would show up on day one. I know you all don't think I'd be a bully. 
But I'd get right in her face and I'd say, tell me, tell me you're under arrest. Tell me I'm going to jail. I'd try to stir them up and fire them up. Because you can't tell somebody they're under arrest and be bashful about it. You can't hold hum and be like, well, sir, I need you to get in the car because you're kind of under arrest. You can't do it that way, okay? You've got to have a certain bravado. Hank's laughing at me, but he knows I'm right. You've got to have a certain bravado. I said, get in the car now. You're under arrest. And that's what I try to stir in them kids to get them, get them out of their bashfulness. Well, I'm trying to stir you all. Get out of your bashfulness. I'm trying to stir me. Get out of your bashfulness. Send somebody a text tonight that you know is lost. Ask God to give you somebody that you, that, that, that's lost. And get them in here next week. Get them in here Sunday. Get them in here Saturday. Look, I'm not, I've not figured it out. I've not figured it out. Boy, she can sneeze with some of the best of them. And I can tell you that I am nowhere near proficient what I need to be. But I prayed earlier today, God, for the next four days, help me be what I need to be. There's people that I know that I could reach that will listen when I talk. And I just, at the very least, I need to invite them to church. And hopefully homecoming Sunday with a big box of chicken and will help us some wonderful singing and will make that happen. But we got to remember what we've been saved from. And we got to spread the good news. Let's pray. We'll go into prayer time. Lord, I've spilled it out, Father. You've laid this on my heart for two days, and and I hope I've delivered it to your liking, Father. Use it, Lord. It ain't about Darren Allen at all. I'm just a cobbled-up old sinful mess, and I'm more of a disappointment to you than I am a pleasure. But, Lord, I just pray that you would use these words to motivate these fine people, and we could see some people say, Father, it's so encouraging. It's so encouraging when people get saved, when they turn and they and, they, and their hearts broken, and they just they just want to just they feel so wonderful, and they want to tell everybody, Lord, we've gotten away from that. And part of the reason we've gotten away from that is because we don't recall where, what you saved us from, and we don't spread the good news. And I pray we do our part, that His heart would do their part on Saturday night, Father, be with their organization of songs. Be with them as they sing, Father. I pray that they would be anointed from you and they would minister to hearts, Father. And I pray that our house would be full. I pray that we'd spread the word about that. And Lord, for Sunday, for singing, Father, and Lord, for our, our folks that sing, the wonderful singers that we have in this congregation, Lord, they'll be singing. And I just pray you'd bless them, Father. All designed to worship you and soften up hearts. And Lord, then the 11 o'clock, the main show, the main theme, the main event. Be with Brother Eddie. I pray there'd be no distractions. I pray that there'd be people in the house that morning, Sunday morning, that are lost, that are confused. And Father, you'd use his words to speak to their hearts. Give him traveling mercies as he comes up here, he and his wife. Give them them health, Father. I pray there'd be no problems. I just pray that everything about this revival would go smoothly. Help us to rest up on Sunday night and then, Father, Monday through Wednesday, Lord, let us, let us pour our hearts into this church. 
May we have be full of energy. May we have a, a, a zeal for the lost. And may, Father, we know that when, we're, when, when revival's done, that we've had revival, not just a series of meetings. Use this wonderful body. Use this church, and Lord, may it bring honor to you because after all, that's why we're here. Forgive us, lead us, direct us, guide us, motivate us, encourage us, energize us, and may we, may we experience you every night over the course of the next four nights especially. I ask these things in your name. Amen.